I'm Mark Middleton along with Bill Schaefer, and this is Growing Bolder, the positive, fun, life-affirming alternative to just growing older. Growing Bolder is not just about helping change the narrative around aging worldwide, although we are passionate about that. It's about proving that anything is possible. And talk about proof. Today, we're going to talk to a Major League Baseball player with one hand. You'll meet the amazing Jim Abbott in just a moment. Also, the husband and wife that overcame two major life-changing challenges back-to-back, and they say we're all much more powerful than we know. And the advertising genius who doctors declared dead after a massive stroke. Even his wife wrote his obituary for the paper. Yeah, that's an amazing story. Plus, we've got the skateboarding pioneer, a living legend who not only still rides professionally, he's now a life coach, a recovery expert, a fine artist, a graphic designer, and more. And she was so obese, she couldn't get into a small boat on a family vacation. So she said, enough is enough, and made a remarkable life transformation. How she did it today on Growing Boulder. about overcoming obstacles. He was born without a right hand, still went on to become an all-American pitcher in college, the winner of the Sullivan Award as the top amateur athlete. He was the pitcher for the gold medal winning Olympic team in 1988. And to top it off, he threw a big league no-hitter for the New York Yankees against the Cleveland Indians. Yeah, it almost seems impossible. But folks, that is why he is such a powerful and important motivational speaker these days. And when he's not in inspiring others to believe that really anything is possible. He's a guest pitching instructor during spring training for the Los Angeles Angels. Welcome, one of the most inspirational athletes of all time, Jim Abbott. Hey, Jim, how are you? I'm doing terrific. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for spending some time with us. Uh, It really is a phenomenal story. And, you know, we have seen time and time again that men and women who overcome major challenges had parents that didn't let them see disability, but only ability. And and that certainly was your case, especially with your father. I mean, when you wanted to play baseball, he's the guy that helped you develop this technique that allowed you to throw and catch with the same hand, right? Yeah. You know, my parents... um, were my heroes in a lot of ways, even more so now that I'm a parent myself. Um, you know, they had me at a very early age, and, um, you know, there were a lot of challenges in their life and, and a lot of sacrifices, and 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 to couple that with the way I was born, missing my right hand, uh, I'm sure there were a lot of, un- there was a lot of uncertainty and anxiousness, but um, they didn't shield me away from experience. They encouraged me to do the things that I love to do, and, and one of those things was, was was baseball and and my dad bought me a baseball glove and uh, we went out in the front yard and and tried a lot of different ways to play catch you know learning to switch the glove on and off of my left hand we went through a series of trial and error and and finally came up with this method of of this twirling motion and it, and it got to be pretty fast and pretty efficient and it allowed me to play with with the other kids you know jim i i've i've volunteered as a youth coach and and I see this this culture to where when kids are little oh everybody's very welcoming sure come on in yeah let's give that kid a chance but as soon as things start getting competitive in the least they're looking at the kid without a right hand and they're going hey I I don't want him on my team how how do you how do you get over that how do you stay focused and confident and prove yourself time and time again well, first of all, my congratulations for volunteering as a youth coach. <laughs> That's not always the most uh, rewarded job in the world, to be honest. But, uh, it, you know, I was lucky. I, I didn't run across that situation. I, I can tell you there were, there were a few names, and I was teased like everybody else, uh, maybe a little bit more. Um, but the amount of support that I had in Flint, Michigan, I grew up in a great town of Flint, Michigan, and I know people who are familiar with the town may kind of chuckle at that, but it was a fantastic town to grow up in. Uh, uh, it was a tough town, no doubt about it. Uh, no quarter was given. You had to prove yourself. Um, but if you could play the game like everybody else, you had a chance. And and I had a lot of great coaches and I had a lot of great teammates and teachers um, who who thought I could do it, and and it wasn't a case of oh, I was I was just good enough, and so I had the chance. Uh, it, that was far from it. I had coaches who who 
You know, I really struggled. I, in, you know, there were some years I didn't get a base hit. You know, I was incredibly wild as a pitcher. Um, but they stuck with me, and they believed in me, and they thought I could do it. And and any success that I had uh, really is a testament to to those folks back in my hometown of Flint and, and, and the support that they gave me, the belief that they gave me. And, and that's a message that I try to spend, you know, send today because I know that isn't always the case. You're right, that scenario comes up quite a bit where the doubt creeps in, the negativity creeps in. Uh, but I believe with opportunity, you know, and a chance to prove ourselves, a lot of times things work out for the best. Folks, we're talking with Jim Abbott, one of the most inspirational athletes of all time, born without a right hand, still went on to become an All-American at Michigan. He won an Olympic gold medal for the United States, and he pitched a no-hitter in the major leagues. And, Jim, I get all of what you said, but uh, you not only had to prove others wrong, you had to somehow maintain the belief in yourself because, again, at, at each level, from little league to high school to college to the big leagues, the balls are coming at you faster, and you had to do this trick. I mean, that's what it was. You were shifting the glove from one hand to the other. Uh, did, did you think that at the next level it wasn't going to work at any point? Yeah, that's a great point. You know, I, I didn't, uh, when I was in little league, I didn't think, oh, I want to make the major leagues. I mean, I had that dream like everybody else. But my focus was the next level. You know, could I do it at high school? Could I make the high school team? And uh, growing up in Flint, Michigan, you know, we had a lot of great athletes. We had a lot of great teams, and, and varsity sports meant something. That varsity jacket meant something in Flint, and that was something I really aspired to. And and so, yeah, I did the little things that it took just to get to the next level. I would work a little bit harder at switching the glove on and off or maybe working on the bunt play a little bit, you know, how I would defend the position at pitcher and and then when I got to college, you know, I worked with my college coach and, and worked on the, the bunt down the third base line. I remember we worked on that over and over again, working on working out how I could, you know, make that play and, and not let my defense become a weakness. So um yeah, there was uncertainty in in, in um you know, at every level, it it took um, you know a, a little bit of a little bit of toughness, a little bit of resolve to 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 really sit back and try to figure out what it would be that would allow me to to play at that next level. And 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 um, you know, again, I had wonderful coaches who believed in me and who helped who helped teach me. And 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 uh, you know, I was I had just enough belief in myself that uh, it was possible and that I could do it. And when your baseball career wound down. You didn't. You became really a very sought-after motivational speaker, and you're not motivating athletes on their journey. You're not motivating one-handed people in life. You're motivating people from all walks of life with all sorts of challenges. How do you make that message resonate in a general way? Well, what's interesting is that I, I've really enjoyed the speaking world, I, I um, and I don't think of myself as a speaker, quote-unquote, uh, I just try to relate my story, and what's interesting is that baseball uh, resonates. You know, this, the lessons from baseball resonate, and, 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 and people understand the game. A lot of people played it growing up, men and women, and, and uh, they have kids playing it. So they understand the triumphs and the failures that are involved in playing baseball. And then, you know, on top of it, my personal story of playing with one hand, you know, lends a little different depth to my experience and, and also the trials and tribulations that I went through. So um, what's been so fantastic is that he's uh, just relating your story, and, and it's, 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 there's a connection to um, the things that you go through, whether it's on a baseball field or it's in any other occupation. I believe it comes down to creativity, you know, learning to do things in your own way. I had to learn to play baseball a little bit differently. And, and the people that I speak to, I discover, are constantly having to reinvent themselves and redefine what they're doing and define their own course. And, you know, I talk about accountability. To me, my the obligation to make the most of, of what I have been given. I've been given so much, you know. I, I, yes, I was born without my right hand, but, um, you know, I was... I had the athletic ability. I had great coaches. And so I was accountable to that. I had to make the most of that. And, and you know, so many people in the world I, I see, you know, want that. They You know, they, they want to forget about what's been taken away and, and focus on, you know, the chance and the opportunity that's in front of them. And, and, and my story has a chance to, you know, kind of recalibrate that focus. And, 
at the end of the day, my favorite thing to talk about as a speaker is trust. It's just belief in yourself, and 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 that's the most powerful lesson I took away from pitching. Is just belief that this pitch is going to work. You know, eliminating hope, eliminating fear, and, and putting each putting all of yourself into each pitch. And um, you know, that's what gives the pitch life and, and difference. And 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 those are things I've you know, thankfully people have been able to relate to and, and I've been in, I've enjoyed really being able to share. It is it is a great story well told by, by Jim Abbott. Jim, thank you so much for your time. And folks, if you want to learn more about this guy, check out his website, Jim Abbott A B B O T T dot net. And and Bill, his message about adapting it is more relevant as we get older than than ever because this is a guy who made big things happen without a right hand. As we get older, uh, it, we share the experience of loss, vision, hearing, mobility, all of that. We have to learn to adapt, and this is a guy who knows more about that than anybody. Life throws things at us that stop us. Jim Abbott is an example of what happens when you push on. What a great guest. Speaking of overcoming odds, wait until you meet Bree and Stephen Sandlin. They were hit with devastating news not once but twice. Back-to-back challenges that rocked their world. That's next on Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Our partners at Florida Blue Medicare, providing the guidance you need to stay informed and stay connected through COVID-19. Now offering tips, ideas, and critical resources at growingbolder.com slash COVID. Check out Growing Boulder TV, airing on public television stations nationwide. Visit growingbolder.com slash TV for program listings and where to watch. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton, and this is Growing Bolder, and it's time now for our Surviving and Thriving segment, because with the right kind of care and support and the right attitude, it's possible to not only survive life's greatest challenges, but to thrive in the aftermath. Amen, Brother Bill. And one of the most inspirational survivors that we have ever met is Bree Sandlin. And one of the most inspirational spouses we've ever met is her husband, Stephen. They're still relatively young, but what they've had to overcome not once, but twice proves that we are all much stronger than we know. To say they've bounced back is a bit of an understatement. So today is a big day. It's Bree's one-year cancer-free anniversary. And so... Bree Sandlin and husband Stephen have come to Mount Kilimanjaro, the world's highest freestanding mountain, to celebrate life and a major milestone, the end of two life-challenging and life-changing battles. The first began seven years ago, shortly after the greatest day of their lives. My husband and I have been wanting to have kids for a long time. We've been trying Um, We weren't successful, so we went through IVF and vitro fertilization. We were blessed with twin boys, which was wonderful. Uh, But one of our sons immediately had problems. Day two, started having surgeries. Um, He was in the NICU for nine months. During his sixth month, he had a stroke, massive stroke, um, and he was, was left with a diagnosis of cerebral palsy. Bree and Stephen's lives changed overnight. Let's look at overall profitability rather than just revenue. Bree is a marketing executive with Shell Oil. She loves her job and is grateful that it provides the resources to care for Beck. So, without hesitation, Stephen quit his job as a graphic designer to do what had to be done. He needed to be home full time, and it it wasn't even a, a, a question or a thought. I mean, he just so willingly said, you know, I'll, I'm happy to give give my time and my life to be there for him. And uh, it's inspirational. He's nothing but a blessing to us. Um, If not his perseverance and watching him make it through these things that every single doctor says he shouldn't make it through, it's hard to not be inspired by that. And it's hard not to work for him when you see what he's done for himself. Can you smile if I talk about the Wonder Pets? That cannot roll over on his own. He can't walk or crawl or stand up. 
If Beck's going to do something, it's because somebody else does it for him. 100% reliant on other people, feeding, sleeping, everything. And he's cognitively completely functional. He is what the doctors consider a lockdown syndrome where he can't communicate and he can't tell you what's going on, but he understands very well what's going on. Beck, you got Batman. <laughs> yeah, he's the most amazing blessing we've ever had in our lives. Yeah. He teaches us every day what true strength and perseverance encourages. But the Sandlin's capacity for strength, courage, and perseverance was about to be tested again. We had thought for sure we had been dealt our biggest challenge in life in caring for Beck. And when I was diagnosed, I think we found out that that, that, that was wrong. You know, facing your own mortality is, is actually um, a lot harder. <laughs> and when, especially when you have a whole family depending on you. The boys were five when Bree was diagnosed with stage three triple negative breast cancer, an aggressive cancer with a high mortality rate that can be difficult to treat. And I was just sitting in the driveway and I remember thinking now I have to go inside the house and tell Stephen that I have cancer. How in the world am I gonna do this? And I remember I walked through the door and Stephen was baking. And so I walked up and he was really intense and I was like, hey, I need to talk to you. And he was like, okay, you know, he's, you know, doing his thing. And I said, no, listen, it, stop, we have to talk. And I just started bawling. All I thought was, it's going to be fine. We're going to make a way to make this okay. I don't know what it is. She kept asking me, how do you know that? How do you know it's going to be okay? And I said, I don't know, but it's going to be fine. Like, we will find a way to get through this and to make it work. He was my dietitian, my personal trainer, my coach, my motivator, my optimism. He was everything. I mean, it's just, you know, it, he definitely was the one that made me say, all right, we're gonna, we're gonna fight. We're gonna kick this thing's butt. And, um, you know, he just, he was amazing every day. After multiple surgeries and eight months of chemotherapy and radiation treatments, Bree got a clean pathology report. Her cancer was gone, and suddenly she understood a statistic that Livestrong shared with her months before. 90% of people, um, of survivors, right, so people who, who come out on the other end, look back on cancer as a positive experience. And I remember at the time reading that quote and to say that complete bull. There is no way that I'm ever gonna look back and say, oh, I'm so glad I got cancer, right? That was, that was a really positive thing in my life. And I remember thinking that at the time, and now I'm on the other end of it, and I'm, I know exactly what that means, right? I'm, I was given a chance to um, appreciate life so much more and, and to know how much everything means to me and what I love and what my passions are and um, it just stop going through life in a, you know, a regimented system and to, to take time to appreciate it. And I, I think Livestrong opened my eyes to that. So Bree and Stephen joined Survivor Summit to support Livestrong and to celebrate her one-year cancerversary on the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro. How you doing there, Bree? I'm stronger than this mountain, that's all that matters. Yes. I can't believe it's a year ago where I was versus now. It's like night and day, night and day. It's very emotional. I bet. So, it's gonna be an amazing moment. I'm just really excited I get to celebrate it with all of these amazing people. And my husband. <laughs> <laughs> you make me cry. <laughs> it is pretty cool. I didn't know where we were getting up in a year, but this is one of the better outcomes. Climbing the mountain to me is, is like just the perfect metaphor for everything. I mean, it's, you know, putting one foot in front of the other every single day, no matter what, no matter how hard it is. It's, you know, reaching this pinnacle. It's relying on everyone around you for support and to get there, I mean, it's just, it's the perfect metaphor. Oh, 100%. The moral of the story is, 
we are all, every single one of us, every person on this planet is stronger than we give ourselves credit for. We can do these things. We can do unbelievable things. Um, it just takes uh, some, some leap of faith and uh, some, some great friends. What a remarkable woman. What an amazing couple. Folks, why not take a few tips from Bree Sandlin? Surround yourself with good friends. Take a leap of faith. And remember, we are all more powerful than we know. And Mark, that is the best formula out there for surviving and thriving. And if you'd like more information on Bree and the other inspirational survivors who conquered Kilimanjaro, we've actually produced a documentary on their climb. Check out conqueringkilimanjaro.com. Folks, if you are struggling in any way at all, remember this. There is one thing for certain in life, and it's that none of us, no matter how charmed our existence might seem from the outside, has escaped trial and tribulation. And what a great point, Mark. And we've got a case in point here, our own Cecily Wilson. She's faced many different challenges and each time has come out smiling. She's come out grateful and determined to keep making a difference by sharing what she's learned with others. I'm Cecily Wilson for Growing Boulder. You know, I've overcome some enormous obstacles in my life, a stressful divorce that led me to becoming a single mom, suffering a stroke while on the air as a television anchor, changes in my career, and so much more. I've suffered through terrible traumas, major blows to my self-confidence, and I've even come close to losing hope. But at one of my darkest moments, I came to a realization. I had a lot to be grateful for wonderful children, work and faith that sustain me, and an opportunity to start surviving and thriving. A chance to be a positive role model for other women who are sometimes thrown a curveball in life, but choose to move forward. So here's my message. Take care of yourself, set new goals, pursue your passions, and believe that good things are still ahead. That's Growing Boulder, and I'm Cecily Wilson. Words of wisdom from our own Cecily Wilson, who, among other things, is a stroke survivor. What a privilege to call Cecily part of the Growing Boulder team. Speaking of stroke survivors, coming up, Richard L. Burns struck down with a cerebral hemorrhage and declared dead. And he'll tell us all about it next on Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... The Center for Health and Well-Being, now open in Winter Park. Wholeness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location, offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter. Delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingbolder.com. Bill Schaefer here with Mark Middleton on the Growing Boulder radio show. And our next guest was a real-life madman, as in the AMC TV show about big-time advertising executives in the 60s. I'm telling you, he's the guy that put the smile on PSA airplanes, and he helped create what would become a cultural icon, the talking fruit of the loom models. He is the real deal. But here's the story we want to talk to him about. At 38, he was struck down with a massive stroke, a cerebral hemorrhage, and he was declared dead. But he miraculously regained consciousness. He was given a second chance in life. So what has he done with it? Well, for one, he's published his memoir, Live or Die, A Stroke of Good Luck. Let's find out more as we welcome Richard L. Burns. Hey, Richard, how are you? Good morning. I'm fine. It is my pleasure. Well, you know what? We're thrilled to talk to you. Many people may not realize that stroke is now the fourth leading cause of death, and you had a bad one. Take us back to that day, the day after Christmas many years ago. What happened? Do you know what caused your stroke? Uh, yeah, I had a little eye surgery about a week before. Uh, they turned the eye around. I, it triggered something, something congenital or something that was there, and I had a cerebral hemorrhage. Man, and, and doctors, Richard, doctors declared you brain dead. Your yep. wife even wrote an obituary for the following morning's paper. How did you come back? Uh, uh, number one, I could, not, I could not walk for 
a year or so. I could not, I could make sounds, but I could not talk for maybe another year. Uh, uh, it's It's been a long trial, and then I, uh, it just shows you the brain cells uh, regenerate themselves. Wow. Which is contrary to what a lot of doctors think, which is very, very interesting. So obviously your story, Richard, is one of persistence. Uh, I'm certain you wouldn't have gotten to where you were today if you weren't able to fight through the times when you couldn't talk, when you could only crawl. What kept you going? What was responsible for that persistence? Uh, Number one, my past life, uh, which is uh, like never give up. Number two, I kept making progress. I found out what to do and how to do it. And I was very gratified and very pleased because in this way, I suddenly realized that, uh, hey, it's not just me. I'm here for a reason. I can help other people. That's what the book's all about. And interesting, too, that sometimes it's tough love from those that are the closest to us that really does help recovery. And and, uh, I understand that's true in your case. That is very true. If I may, uh, my late wife and I were walking. I had graduated from my wheelchair to a walker to a cane. And one day she took the cane away from me. She said, God gave you two legs walking. That's tough love. And you started walking from that? I walked. You know, it, it is amazing. As you mentioned, Richard, your book is called Live or Die, a stroke of good luck. Are, are you actually implying that the stroke was good luck? And if so, how? Let, let's put it this way. Uh, no illness is good luck unless you know how to handle it. I say it was good luck because from it I have learned and I've grown and I've been able to help others and teach others, and that's what it's all about. Talking with Richard L. Burns, who has, should we say, been through the ringer, sir. You've also, besides this stroke, and you've also had lung cancer, you've had back surgery, bleeding ulcers, and and this book is so interesting because it's about more than just the stroke. It's it's sort of written, Richard, like a, a roadmap to recovery for anybody out there who's faced a serious uh, Number illness. one, yes, it is. It applies to anyone, whether it be stroke or heart or any operation, cancer, whatever. You can rise above it. The human will is something rather strong and rather special. You can do it. I found out how. And that's what you're sharing in the book. And you do make the point uh, that we uh, all really do get a new chance at life. I mean, in, in a way, we all get a new chance every day when we wake up. But, but your second chance was very dramatic when at the age of 38 you had this stroke. How did that second chance change you? How did it change your perception of life and what's important? Uh, I was a very spoiled guy. I had the world by the tail. As you mentioned earlier, yes, I was a madman. Uh, I'll I'll, I'll quote a friend of mine, Louis Armstrong, now deceased. Uh, If life is worth living, then damn it, fight for it. I went from there. Richard, this happened when you were 38. How old are you now, and how complete has your recovery been? I am 84. Wow. Uh, I've been through a lot. I have seen a lot. Uh, I never stop recovering. Every year, every morning, it gets better. Uh, Oh, I have to do a lot of work. I exercise. I do a lot of things, diet, everything else. But uh, it's like climbing a ladder. The further up the ladder you go, your your steps, uh, your, your reach, everything becomes more secure, and you feel more secure. You've become, all about. you've become a spokesperson for stroke awareness. What's your message about stroke? What do you want people to know? Number one, it's bad. Uh, but what it is for you depends upon you. Uh, it's, I've developed a saying, it's, it's not just how you handle something. It's what you do with how you handle it that counts. Uh, A stroke is very damaging because a stroke affects all the various parts of your body and your coordination. Uh, My brain was, as you mentioned, completely destroyed. Uh, No, it's not destroyed. It it has come back. I won't go into details, 
but uh, it took a lot of time. My message is very simple. The message is don't give up hope. Uh, the book is a roadmap to recovery. My life is a roadmap to recovery for anyone, for anything. Well, it is certainly a tragedy that you had to suffer a, a stroke, and especially to the extent that you did. But uh, the stroke awareness community has gained a very valuable ally, one of the most creative advertising men in history, and a guy who is certainly helping others understand how to avoid stroke and how to get past it if you should suffer one. His name is Richard Burns. Check out his book, Live or Die, and you can find out more at his website, liveordieburns.com. Thanks, Richard. Appreciate it. Coming up next, a pioneer, an innovator, a living legend who told us that we need him on our team. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures. My guard stood hard when abstract threats to noble, to neglect. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton, and this is Growing Bolder. And our next guest is one of the boldest of them all, one of the innovators and pioneers of professional skateboarding, one of the most influential skateboarders in history. He's a former World and U.S. Open champion. He's been featured in just about every important book and movie anything ever made about skateboarding. Yeah, but as cool as that is, and that's very cool, it does not begin to describe the depth and the breadth of this very entrepreneurial guy. He's a life coach with his own consulting company. He's a fine artist whose paintings are prized by collectors all over the world. He's a commercial graphic designer. He runs a recovery program and a whole lot more, I'm sure. Let's find out as we welcome the living legend, Dave Hackett. Hey, Dave, how are you? I'm excellent. How are you guys, Mark and Bill? We're doing great now. You know, I, I've got this vision of you. You're, you're <laughs> somewhere in Southern California. The sun has come up, the waves are rolling in, and you're getting ready to, to do something radical. You are absolutely right. Right now, the waves are 8 to 10 foot. It is unbelievable. Man. All right, let, let's get to, to your story because it's fascinating. You've been riding skateboards professionally now for over 35 years. And, and, Dave, I know you love the activity itself, but I'm guessing the thing that keeps you going these days is the community, the people, the energy. Am I right? Well, that's one part of it. I mean, there's so many aspects to skateboarding. It's First of all, it's extremely physically demanding, so staying in shape is of utmost importance. And secondly, and I think the most important thing is connecting with your buddies that also skateboard. Because that camaraderie, when you're there riding an empty swimming pool or a ramp or whatever it is that you're doing, there's just a passion that everybody shares that's so amazing. It's incredible. And you know, Dave, to be as good as you are, to for anybody to excel at something, in many cases they become a one-trick pony. But look at you. Your brush is as broad as anybody's out there. Well, that I mean, when I heard you guys <laughs> reading my intro, I was like, wow, who is that guy? I want to meet him, you know? But it's true. I mean, I do all these things, and, and I just see that there's there's just no limits to what anyone can do in this lifetime if you really want to do it. So if you put your focus on it and, and you, you think positively and you, you continue to keep your vision and your goals in alignment with your actions, you can achieve anything. You know, words of wisdom from a guy who, you know, maybe – 30, 40 years ago, you wouldn't have predicted it. Uh, you know, Dave, I was uh, flipping through the documentaries on Netflix a while ago, and I watched Dogtown and the Z-Boys. I absolutely loved it. A film about the birth of extreme skateboarding, the evolution of your sport. Did you grow up in Dogtown? How did you fit into that scene? Well, I wasn't an actual Z-Boy, which the documentary focused on. It was a group of 12 guys that re really grew up in Santa Monica and Venice. I grew up in Malibu, which is a surfing community about 10 miles north of Santa Monica and Venice. So I met those guys through surfing and through skateboarding the empty swimming pools in Santa Monica and Venice. So those guys were my peers and cohorts, and I skateboarded with them a lot. So 
even though I wasn't on their actual team, I was on the Malibu skateboard team. We skateboarded a lot together, and so I grew up with those guys. And then eventually, we really did, you know, our vision was, hey, let's be professional skateboarders. Let's get paid for this. Let's get paid for what our passion is. Let's follow our heart and make it our living. And that's exactly what we did. So I'm really happy that you got to see the documentary because it really is an incredible movie. And you're an incredible guy, too. I mean, this guy that we're talking to right now, David Hackett, he did Tony Hawk's infamous Loop of Death. In fact, he's the oldest guy ever to do it. You did it at the age of 46. And I'm wondering, since this is like the Growing Boulder show, how has age affected your ability to do stuff, your style, the way others look at you? Well, you know, I, I don't really see age. I think that, like everybody else does, all I see is I'm going to do things. And I'm not going to let anything stop me to do those things. So I don't see that as something that's a block. I see that as something that's just a number. It really is. I don't care how old you are. If you want to do something, you can do it if you put your mind to it. I absolutely had no plans to do the loop that day because I had just eaten. I was full. I was, you know, I was at a friend <laughs> Cynthia's birthday party. And, I, you know, I got the call, hey, we're doing the loop today. And I thought, Eh, I'm not doing that. I just ate, you know, <laughs> right? But I ended up going over there, and I saw these guys doing, at least attempting it. Nobody had done it that day, but they were attempting it, and I thought, you know, that looks pretty good. I know I can do that. And so I tried it a couple of times. What you do is they have these big pads that they put inside of it. You do it a couple of times. You land in the bags, and then when you feel like you got it, you say, all right, I'm going to do it right now. Pull the bag. So you have to be absolutely sure in your mind, body, soul, and everything that you can do it before you pull those bags. Because, you know, there's only two ways to end up. One, you're going to do it and be successful. Two, you're going to the hospital. Folks, this is a guy who knows how to go for it. He is a wild man who is able to corral that wildness, uh, you know, in, into constructive behavior. And, Dave, we mentioned that you've got your own recovery program that you run 90 meetings, 90 days. You're a great artist. Uh, you've got a consulting firm. You do graphic arts. I know skateboarding is your number one passion, but if you had to pick something else, if you had to eliminate skateboarding, what's the one thing that you're most passionate about? I would definitely only surf if that was the only thing. Because like the Z-Boys and like all the guys that I grew up with, we grew up in a beach community. And surfing and connecting with Mother Nature is the most healing, amazing thing for the soul. And surfing is our number one sport. We only started skateboarding because it was an extension of our surfing. When the surf was down... We were able to go and ride on schoolyard banks and pretend we were surfing. And then also we took that into empty swimming pools, which is just like surfing a wave, you know. So if, if, if there was nothing else that I could do and it was the only thing left on the planet, it would be surfing. I would just only do that every day, all day long. You hear this guy's voice. What, if you'd guess, what, how old would you say he is? Maybe 22, 23 years old. Dave, Dave how, you're in your 50s now, aren't you? I'm 54 today. Today? Happy birthday. <laughs> yeah. So, so no, look. No, no, today is not my birthday. Look, look. November 12th is my birthday. But today, as I, I they I tell guess. me, yeah, my number count is up to 54 now. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Well, but I don't feel like I'm older than, like, 28, you know? So. Okay, listen, cards in the mail, so don't worry about that. Uh, you've had every reason in the world to let life slow you down. Age could have slowed you down, and the fact that you are a cancer survivor could have made you say, look, my best days are behind me. In the last minute that we have, what is a, a little bit of that Hackett philosophy for continuing on and not giving up? Well, I think that what happens to a lot of people is something will happen in their life. I mean, look, life is in session, you know, and life is a set of challenges. And just because we have something going on today doesn't mean that it's going to last forever. And so I think that just staying in the moment and handling and tackling anything that comes up in our lives and knowing that we're going to get through it to the other side is the secret of keeping going on, you know. And then, of course, we have to, you know, do the daily things that keep us healthy and happy, which is to pray, to meditate, to exercise, to eat healthy, to not put things in our body that's going to, you know, mess us up mentally, physically, spiritually, 
you know, I stay sober. You know, I don't drink. I don't use drugs. I don't do any of those things. I make sure I hydrate. Hydration is so important. A lot of people think they're hungry, but the reality is, is that they're thirsty. And so one of the, one of the major epidemics in the U.S. today is, you know, being overweight, diabetes, you know, and that's all due to poor education on health and eating and diet, you know. So it's very important to not get stuck in just what's going on today, but always have that, you know, that gleam in your eye of the future and always be going for a goal, you know. Setting goals is really important. Folks, this is a guy who knows how to get it done. Dave, we're going to have to leave it there, but but let's continue the conversation another day. Uh, Dave has about a half dozen or more websites. <laughs> a good place to start is Hackett with two T's slash dot com. Uh, Dave, thanks so much for reaching out to us, and let's do figure out a way to, to work together moving forward because we dig what you're all about. Sooner or later, we all reach a point in life where we've had enough and we want to change. Coming up, how Diet Sauer, in her own words, went from fat to fit. That's next. Subscribe to Growing Boulder Magazine, now with more information, articles, and photos than ever before. This quarterly publication is unlike any other, filled with the kind of inspiration you need to live your life to the fullest. More information at growingbolder.com slash subscribe. Miss an episode of Growing Boulder Radio? Subscribe to our podcast and get it on your mobile device. Details at growingbolder.com slash podcasts. This is Growing Boulder. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton. And our next guest, Mark, not unlike a lot of us, kind of let herself go over time with decades of inactivity. She got bigger and larger, and eventually, Mark, she ended up being morbidly obese, and her doctor said that she was certain to have a major heart event within five years on the course she was on. Yeah, I love these kind of stories, Bill, because it really is ordinary people who are living extraordinary lives uh, because they transformed themselves. And that's exactly what she did, folks. One decision and the resolution to change. And she not only transformed herself, she discovered a hidden talent that is now a major part of her life. Let's welcome Diet Sauer. Hey, Diet, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. Glad to be talking with you. Uh, as Bill mentioned, uh, uh, and as you say, you, you basically did nothing in terms of physical activity. Uh, as an adult for 25 years, you gained a lot of weight. The turning point came on a family vacation in 1986. What happened? Why was that the turning point? Well, I was with my family on vacation, and everybody was going on this wonderful boat ride, and I couldn't get in the boat. I couldn't stretch across the, you know, between the dock and the boat. And um, I only wore dresses. I wouldn't wear pants because somehow I thought dresses kind of hid everything. And it was so awkward and so awful. And I was so embarrassed and so humiliated. I went back to the motel room and cried my eyes out and just said, no more, no more. I'm not living like this anymore. And that was October the 10th, 1986. And from that day forward, I changed how I eat. I changed um, about exercising, being sure that that was incorporated into every day of my life. And um, it changed everything. You, you know, Diet, I, I hear your story, and I think it's similar to millions and millions of people that they have that light bulb go off that says, I've got to do something. I've got to make that change. But they can't do it. How were you able to keep it up once you decided? How did you lose the weight? Well, one thing that was very beneficial was a friend did it with me, and we kind of supported each other, and that was, that was tremendous in getting through the first year. And once through the first year, I had, I had established a pattern and, and habits that kept going, and, and I was enjoying feeling better, and I was enjoying um, being smaller and more active, and uh, so then it became just part of how I lived. 
And, you know, this next piece of your story that we want to talk about, you know, is really two major growing boulder themes and why we love this. Number one is because at the age of 58, you know, which just reinforces what Bill and I say all the time, it is never too late. And number two, you found yourself doing something you never imagined you would do. So anything is possible. Tell us about at the age of 58, you're going through this program, you're transforming your life. You find yourself at a local swimming pool, barely able to swim a lap. What happened? Well, I'd, I'd been working out in the gym, and they posted a notice that they were starting a master's swim team. And do not ask me why I thought I could do that, but something I was bored, you know, being on the treadmill and doing the same old, same old. And so I just said, I'm going to go try out. I had watched my children swim, so surely I could do it. And I got in the pool, and I couldn't get you know, like 10 feet or whatever, and I was gasping for air, and it, it was just a mess. But there was a young coach on deck that day that would not let me quit. She just said, you can do this. You will do this. She said, just keep your mouth shut and do what I tell you. I mean, she was, she was incredible. She was a strong young woman. And if it hadn't been for her, I never would have done it. And I'm I'm not getting something about this story because Mark said you were in your late fifties when you. How in the world old are you now? I'm seventy three. My my gosh, you've got the energy and the passion of somebody half that age. I I feel younger than I did when I was forty forty to forty five. I you, feel younger. I feel stronger. Um, everything in my life is is better. You know, it's really interesting that at 40, I kind of thought I was old, and now I don't. <laughs> you know, isn't this a great story? And let's continue with this swimming thread because, you know, we've got you to the point where you're in the pool, you got a great coach, she's not letting you quit. And, and not only did you not quit, you became a competitive swimmer who competes in the National Senior Games. You're so successful, in fact, that Humana named you one of five game-changing athletes who exemplify well-being and inspire others to lead a healthier life. Certainly a long way from that obese woman who couldn't get into a boat. Other than winning medals at swimming meets, what do you like about swimming? It, it, it's just, swimming provides like many facets of, uh, of life, uh, of excitement in life. I mean, I've met the most extraordinary people. I've traveled all over the country. As I said, um, swimming took me out of my comfort zone and into swimming pools around the world. Uh, I never could have foreseen that. Um, I was not somebody that was that excited about traveling. I'd done a lot of traveling when I was younger, and I it was like, like been there, done that. Um, but now we travel, and we we have so much fun going to all these different places and seeing, having experiences we never thought we'd have. Absolutely wonderful. Um, but it also it gives me an accountability. Uh, every morning, if I'm not at swimming. People want to know why, you know, and, and so that keeps me going. And, and your health now, how, how does it compare to the way it was 20 years ago? Well, obviously, I've reversed the heart disease. Uh, it's totally reversed. The last time I saw the specialist, the cardiac specialist, he said, I never need to see you again. And are as long you... as you keep up your life, the lifestyle that you are doing now, and make, you know, no no extraordinary changes to the other extreme, you're good to go. But, but you're eating, I mean, you enjoy what you eat? You don't hate it? You, you don't hate the lifestyle? Nobody's forcing you to go work out? Oh, my gosh. We have beautiful meals. The difference is they're all prepared by me. We don't eat out. Very, very seldom do we eat out. Um, we just eat clean. We eat lots of fruits and vegetables and lean meats and, you know, just like they tell you to do, um, it's all good for you and it, it makes you feel good. Diet, we've just got about 30 seconds left, and folks uh, can't emphasize enough, this is a woman in her mid-70s, totally transformed her life later in life. She says she's healthier now than she was at the age of 40. Diet, give us a takeaway. Give us the moral uh, of your story. What can we learn from you? 
Well, it's just that, it, like you said, it's never too late to become who you should have been. Um, you know, and, and that life can get richer and more exciting as you get older. And, uh, but you have to take the initiative. You have to make sure that happens. Too many people are complacent, and they're not um, searching for those things that um, bring joy and passion into their lives. Words of wisdom from Diet Sauer, who is not only transforming her life, she is now a role model for others. Folks, hear her words, follow her example, get up, get out, and change your life. Thanks, Diet. Before we leave, though, folks, a reminder to stop waiting and start doing. You know, our buddy Banana George Blair, maybe the most famous water skier of all time, told us when he was 94 years old, I don't wait for the next thing to happen. I make it happen. So get out there and make something happen because that is Growing Boulder. Growing Boulder is a production of Boulder Broadcasting. All rights reserved. This program was recorded at Growing Boulders Studios in Orlando and is available as a weekly podcast on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and TuneIn. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producers are Jackie Carlin, Robert Thompson, and Emily Thompson. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Production manager is Michael Nannis. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member is you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to keep growing bolder every day. Crimson flames tied through my ears, flowing high and mighty trap. Countless fire and flaming road, using ideas as my map. We'll meet on edges soon, said I. Oh